Is this the end of the world as we know it? That's the question we're discussing today on the Hero of the Story presented by The Gospel Project. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of The Hero of the Story, a podcast to help you explore the big story and big truths of Scripture. I'm Aaron Armstrong, and with me, as always, is Josh Hayes. So, Josh, is it the end of the world as we know it? Well, because I know the end of the story that Jesus wins, I can say, and I feel fine, if anybody gets the REM reference from the That's right. mid-90s. Uh, early, 90s. early 90s. Yeah, early rocket. 90s, maybe late 80s. Yeah, is that maybe it is that early? It is. Yeah. It, it's a fairly. It's one of their early yeah. hits. But I, I, uh, I came across it when I was in grade school or maybe junior high when it was used for the uh, commercials for the movie Independence Day. You know about the uh, yes. aliens coming to oh, yes. Earth and Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum uh, stopped them. But uh, I remember the uh, the trailer for that having that 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 song. So that was my introduction to to REM. There you go. And thank you for reminding me that I'm old Mm -hmm. Um, because I I took someone on a date to that movie. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was in high school when that movie came out. I was uh, probably in fifth or sixth grade. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm 42. (laughs) So (laughs) (laughs) I was in 11th or 12th grade when that came out. So, because I'm old, and the memory starts to go <laughs> well, when you're old. We're, we're so, all we're yeah. all getting older. We're all getting older. But, uh, but today we are talking about the end of the world. You've you've given it away, you've, right? Um, right. You know, we buried the lead there a little bit. Well, we've been in but, Revelation for a few weeks now. Yeah. So I mean, so naturally we are we're gonna be at the end of Revelation here. Uh, yes, we skipped all over all the fun stuff, people. Um, I'm sorry. To all of you who are really hoping that we were gonna we were gonna talk about Revelation six through eighteen, um, but we're not doing that today. Instead, we are taking a quick peek at the end of the story. So we're looking at Revelation nineteen through twenty two today, and really more specifically, um, honing in on a few key points from nineteen twenty one and twenty two uh, specifically. But on top of that, uh, because listeners who are familiar with the with the who are particularly familiar with the program know that we typically uh, each week we we talk about a passage of scripture, and then we then we talk about an essential truth of the Christian faith. Today we're actually doing both of these together in this episode. So this is a bit of a daunting task. Because we're talking about, and but the reason that we're doing this is simple, is because we can't talk about these passages without talking about this essential truth. Because essentially, this passage is this essential truth. It's what we're talking about when we talk about this thing that's called the new heaven and the new earth. And so we are going to, so what we're going to do is we're going to set up some context for Revelation 19 through 22, we're going to actually then follow that up with the how we define and understand this, this idea of the new heaven and the new earth. We'll hit a couple of passages of scripture, and then we will carry on as we always do. So, Josh, how about you start us off with a little bit of context? Yeah, well, some context is that we're getting uh, at this point in Revelation um, you know, 19, 20, 21, 22, uh, another opening into into heaven as John has these visions of 
what's taking place in heaven and and that it's God's plan uh, coming to fruition on earth. So he uh, gets insight to what's going on behind the scenes, if you will. So you see this similar phrase phrase uh phrasing about you know john seeing into into heaven and uh the, the sequence of, of this vision falls after the the middle portion of revelation that, that you mentioned the uh, chapters mm-hmm. really it's four all the all, all the way uh, up until uh 19 uh but um but we covered revelation 5 uh, on a previous episode but you have this this structure that's um mentioned uh, by by John um, in his his recording of these series of visions about uh, what 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 is taking place now what and what is what what is to come after this or what must take place after this and so that's mm-hmm. where the the whole uh, middle portion of, of Revelation uh, falls falls into place and you have these different um, image images and sequences uh, that that are that are presented to us so you have the lamb and the, and the seven seals you have the angels and the seven trumpets uh, and these are just different ways of representing God's plan as it's unfolded in time right. you have the vision of the woman her son and the dragon and then you have the beast you have seven bowls of wrath and then finally you have the uh, Babylon referred to as this this mistress or this prostitute uh, figure that that proceeds. Right, we'll, we'll pick up here in Revelation uh, 19. So you have these different uh, components of Revelation depicting what takes place uh, throughout uh, history, and then there's debate about whether these pertain largely to what comes at the very end, right before Jesus comes back, or do they represent on a cosmic scale and 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 this apocalyptic genre deals a lot with the, the Im- meaningful imagery mm-hmm. in these visions as it refer to church the the general history of the church throughout the throughout the, the centuries so uh, outside the the location of, of the millennium and where the general resurrection will take place there's debates about that concerning revelation 20 that we're not going to touch upon today we have, have another episode where we discuss the millennium that we can po- direct uh, listeners too, but the, this middle section is where most of the debate lies, as I was saying, in terms of how and what John describes relates to history. So does it refer to the very end, or does it refer to uh, what we know is, is church history, um, broadly speaking, and this, mm-hmm. this is just described in this more spiritual and cosmic uh, Im- imagery uh, to, to show the significance of what's going on. So by the time we get in Revelation uh, to this point, of chapters 19 through 22, we're hitting the, the climax when it comes to the judgment of all evil, the judgment of the world, but then also the restoration uh, of all things as God uh, implements um, his true intention for creation where God reigns uh, with his people forever in an undisrupted and permanent uh, communion bond. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that leads into our definition of the new heaven and the new earth because Mm -hmm. that's where all of this is leading to as we're going to see as we talk about the passages itself um so uh this is what we and but this is what we mean in a nutshell so when christ returns and the children of god are revealed the creation itself will be made to made new like the resurrected bodies that Christians will one day receive, the physical world itself will undergo a similar transformation, so much so that Scripture describes it as a new heaven and a new earth. The Scriptures describe the new earth as a city 
and is a physical place that will include eating and drinking. Best of all, Christ will be all and in all, and we shall see him face to face. And so that is, that's ultimately, that's the end of the story. Mm-hmm. When it when we think about when we think about what's the story that Scripture is telling, this is what it's working toward, and this is right. what history as a whole, everything that we experience, is moving toward as well. And so, this idea that after Jesus bodily returned to Earth, the totality of creation will be renewed and transformed permanently into a glorious and perfected state of existence, centered on Christ himself. In other words, that God's kingdom comes and his will is done on earth as it is in heaven forevermore. So that it that the already and not yet that we talk about constantly mm-hmm. on this program and throughout our lives really in practical ways even if we never use the phrase um that this already but not yet becomes now. Yeah. And a forever now. It's, yes, it, and a forever now. That's right. That's good. right. So, uh, so some places, of course, that we that we see this. Um, you know, we we're going to read one from the passages that we that we want to talk about. But before we do, uh, let's just remember that this is an that because this is an important key truth of the faith that this is something that we should expect to see throughout Scripture. Right. And so this promise of um, this promise of, an, of the new creation of, of eternity with, with God, uh, a land with, uh, free from the curse of sin forevermore, um, this, this carries back almost all the way to the beginning. I mean, right. we see glimpses and hints of it as far back as um, the Lord's initial calling of Abram in Genesis 12, uh, 1 through 3. Um, we see in John's writing, we see his familiarity and the influence of the prophet Isaiah's right. writing on right. him. And it, again, we talked about this early on when we uh, about a month ago when we started talking about Revelation, that it is the book in the New Testament that references the Old Testament more than any other book of the Bible. And Isaiah is huge in this book. And so we see these callbacks to Isaiah 65 and 66 as well. We also see some parallels with uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. But then there is Revelation 21, 1 through 7. So, Josh, can you read that for us? Yeah. I'd be glad to. Uh, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more, because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. He also said, Write, because these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life, the one who conquers will inherit these things, and I will be his God, 
and he will be my son. Thank you. All right. So as we think about uh, Revelation 19 through 22 and this doctrine as a whole, uh, what are some questions that we should be asking about it, Josh? Well, if you if our readers go and look at Revelation 19, uh, 11 through, uh, I'm trying to remember the... Through 16. Through 16, trying to remember the exact reference that we have in our, our curriculum. Uh, this this will be a question that, that, that will come to mind, and we're going to look more at the specific details here in this portion of the podcast, and then we'll... we'll, we'll broaden things out from there as we as we move, move along but in, in Revelation 19 this picture of the rider on a white horse what does this tell us about Jesus that's that's a that's a uh, initial question we might have in, in looking at the, the this passage in context and so what we want to take into consideration always uh, when we're dealing with apocalyptic genres we, we talked about over the last um, the s- several weeks that there's a lot of imagery and it, it's loaded with theological meaning. It's not so much trying to give you a play-by-play description the way an eyewitness reporter would do, but more John showing how his vision communicates truth and meaning about Jesus and God's purposes in the world. And so this white horse that he sees Jesus on, this symbolizes Jesus' victory. Uh, kings were known to ride a white horse and, and uh, instances of battle where they were uh, uh, expected to be victorious. So this white horse gives the image of Jesus' uh, victorious uh, conquest uh, over, over the world and, and dispensing it of, of, of evil. Uh, ridding of evil. He, his name is called Faithful and True. And that's a faithful title for Jesus, who's also called the, the Word of God. So, and representing God's character, he's faithful and true. Then you have this, these um, uh, might seem like strange descriptions of his eyes uh, looking like fiery flame, and that echoes the, the Son of Man descriptions that we looked at in Revelation 1 through 14, 1 uh, verse 14. We talked about it on a previous episode, and that's drawing on. Uh, the Son of Man figure from Daniel 7. Uh, you also have Jesus described as having many crowns. So rather than just one crown, it's many crowns. Does that mean we're going to see Jesus doing a balancing act with a lot of crowns on his head? Well, no, not necessarily. It's just showing that all crowns ultimately belong to him, that he's the rightful king with an abundant measure of, of authority. There's right, a, so not an evening crown and a morning crown. Like <laughs> I have an evening black shirt and an, oh. and a morning black shirt. Yeah. Right. Okay. Got it. Though so I, I I think we'll have an abundant uh, variety of black shirts in the new heavens, new earth. You know, I nothing, hope nothing so. will be scarce, and you you can wear as many black shirts as as you yes. want. Uh, <laughs> even yeah, even 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 though there won't be any any sun, so it'll be a whole different d- d- experience. Which again, that's again, do you want to make the metaphor walk on all fours there as far as the sun and the sea? Go well, you know, as someone who's very pale, I'm uh-huh. uh, I'm really glad about that. Yeah, because you're I'm hoping that's a that's a you're hoping that that, that the uh, literal, <laughs> very literal interpretation of that is is, is well, at least no sunburn. Yeah, no sunburn. Well, there yeah. won't be in the new heavens and new earth. Yeah. Uh, we shouldn't expect it anyway. That's right. That's right. Yeah. But anyways, to get back to uh, <laughs> de- dealing with actual features in the text rather than our silly speculative banter. Yep. Um, there's a name no one uh, knows is, is uh, talked about with Jesus, and that, that indicates his di- the divine and mysterious nature. Mm-hmm. A name, knowing someone's name... Uh, in, in, an ancient, in the ancient world meant that you had control or some sort of claim on them, especially when it came to 
trying to influence uh, divine spirits, uh, and uh, with Jesus, his name is mysterious, so no one can really control or coerce him. Um, And then he has a robe, and this might strike some of our listeners as um, strange or perhaps uh, offensive, but a robe dipped in blood. Uh, that points back to his death, uh, mm-hmm. as we saw in the, in in, in seven nine, where he's the uh, the lamb who who is slain slain on behalf of his people in order to redeem them. But it also points forward to the treading of the winepress of God's wrath. That's a image that's taken from Isaiah sixty three. If our listeners want to go and look that up, but you'll see a parallel between uh, that passage and also Revelation nineteen fifteen. So. Sometimes there's a debate about whether the blood on Jesus' robe represents his death or the blood that's going to be splattered on him uh, at the winepress of God's wrath, the judgment he brings upon uh, sinners. And uh, my response to that is, why can't it be both? And I think think that there's dual imagery going Mm -hmm. on there between both Jesus' death for his own blood was shed and taking on God's judgment for himself, that he's been through the winepress of God's wrath, as it were, but also, all those who don't belong to him, who don't turn to him in repentance and faith, they're going to be subject to this wine press of God's wrath, and that's where the bloodshed uh, affects them, as represented by this image. You have a sharp sword coming out of Jesus' mouth, and again, this is where you don't want to take the image too literalistically in this wooden fashion that Jesus is going to be doing sword tricks, you know, like a like some type of service act, yeah. circus act, but. Uh, Instead, it's to show the, the power of Jesus' word. That it's, a, that it's effective. His speech um, is sharp and deafening, and it accomplishes what he um, means for it to accomplish. Right, and calls back to other images of um, where Scripture is referred to as 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 a sharp double-edged a sword. sword. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah. So his own his own speech is equated with God's word. Yeah. His, yeah. So, so there's a lot of meaning behind that. And then you have this this uh, description of him ruling with a rod of iron, and that, that harkens back to Psalm 2, verse 9, which is a passage about David's son, the Messiah, the greater David to come. Uh, God calls this figure his son in that passage, and that's a way of referring to the, the coming uh, Davidic Messiah, the king out of David's line. And then finally, he's referred to this title, as you hear often quoted uh, when it comes to uh, worship leaders and in our hymns, but that he's King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and that's a similar title to what's used of Yahweh in the Old Testament, specifically Deuteronomy ten seventeen, where uh, Yahweh is described as the God of gods and Lord of lords. So, yeah. a similar title being used of Jesus says a lot about his divine uh, identity that he's one and the same with Yahweh, the the God of Israel. So. You see how much theology John is able to pack into ju- in, in just a matter of six or seven verses. These image, this imagery and the, these phrases really cover a lot of ground in terms of revealing to us who Jesus is. So you see why apocalyptic literature really is an economic or an efficient way to communicate. You get to yeah. load it, load things with theological meaning that that come out of the images more so than writing a, a lot of words as you would in an essay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, turning from 19 to 21 and 22, um, you know, th- in th- these passages, uh, there is a tremendous amount of Im- imagery that continues here. Um, you know, we read about the sea being no more. We read about a holy city coming down from 
from the sky. We read about the water of life and the tree of life and its leaves. We read about names on foreheads and the night and the sun being no more. Right. Um, how are we supposed to understand these is the natural question that comes mm. out of these. And so, again, like what we see in, in 19 and what we see throughout the whole book of Revelation, that these details often refer to uh, things that are real, but, they, but they're also literary devices right. meant to convey this deeper understanding right. um, that goes beyond the physical. Um, so this imagery has more to do with its theological meaning than brute historical fact or um, even, even when the historical is present and is real um, and is even and presented in imaginative ways. So you think about the new heaven and the new earth. This is the renewal of, of all creation. This is the language from Isaiah 11, 65, 66. It's not replacing the original creation, but the abolishing of an old era marred by sin and death. And that's something that's important, right. too, is God's not just torching the place and wiping it all out. He's, he's bringing the new out of the old. Right, right. That's a good way to put it. And it, much like how we, right now, if we are in Christ, we're still in the same physical body we were. Mm-hmm. But a new glorified body is coming that will be transformed from our old body. And so we'll recognize ourselves but be perfected, which is good news. Um, yes. so, it's the, so it's familiar but better. Is, is the way to think about mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when, the, when we think about this holy city or the new Jerusalem, this is how the church, it's, this is the church. And it's referring to how the church is Jesus' bride and it becomes the temple, the place of worship, the dwelling place of God. This is the, um, this is a, a very profound image of, this permanency of the relationship between God and, and, and his people, that we are forever more intertwined. Um, you know, we have, again, we have more imagery that's coming out of the Old Testament with this covenant formula the, of, of it saying that I will be their God and they will be my people, that, um, that that's presented here as well. This fulfillment of everything that was a shadow in the Old Testament is coming into fruition in this vision, um, you know the and that includes the the oft quoted and oft quoted by me um, promise of of Christ wiping away every tear from every eye, which itself comes from Isaiah twenty five verse eight. Um, we continuing with this imagery, we see the one on the throne, which equates divine authority and presence, um, yet is distinguished from the Lamb in Revelation 4 and 5, but both receive worship. Right. So we see this this, uh, this multiplicity and singularity in God um, at the same time mm-hmm. here, um, which, again, the nature of God is a mystery. We do not fully understand how... Um, uh, how these three persons can be wo- how can can be one in essence and yet distinct from from each other um, it's too big for us and we need to be okay with that 
Um, but ultimately, all of this, all of this really does, and this this jumps us a little bit into thinking about the thinking about this doctrine and this passage from a discipleship perspective. So we'll use it as our lead-in into that. But when you think about all of this imagery that's in mm. all of these these passages and just the handful of things that we've touched on um, in the last few minutes, all of these descriptions are meant to enthrall our hearts more than to satisfy our curiosities. They're meant to stimulate our curiosity, if, if you will, right, that it's right. like, how can this be? And... Um, and so we get um, uh, so we get imagery that that um, helps us to to understand this holistic renewal and restoration of all things according to their perfected God intended purpose um, through all of this. But um, but in it we don't get how mm-hmm. clearly. And so what this should do in us is that it sh- it should can kindle our our hope and capture our imagination, but um, but not invite wild and bizarre speculation about what things will be like precisely in the age to come or how they're going to come right. about. They're just meant for us to look forward to when this day comes. Um, because we have to understand that that our imagine like these much like god's nature is too big for us to fully comprehend how all of this is going to come up, come about is is too big for us to comprehend so when we start engaging in speculation on them um, not only is it unhelpful because we can we can make wild misinterpretations of scripture but our our most imaginative speculation is too small mhm in many ways, in when it's at its best, right? Um, so there's heresy at its worst, and there's just we think too small <laughs> on yeah, the plus yeah. side. So let's let's embrace what is here in the in these passages and in Scripture about the new heavens and the new earth, and um, rather than engage in speculation, long for the day that we get to see it in fullness. Use it as an opportunity to pray. Yeah. In other yeah. words, yeah, people often, and sadly, this is what Revelation as a book gets associated with, uh, with sort of end time speculation and even Bible code and conspiracy theories. But that's not why Revelation was given. It has a pastoral concern at its heart. It's to give hope to people who are suffering. When you think about when it was written, John is writing to Christians who are in the first century in Rome. Uh, likely, if, if John is writing around the time of Nero, there was uh, empire-wide persecution going on. There wasn't constant empire-wide con- uh, persecution going on throughout uh, the early centuries of the church, but there, there, so there, was more, there were more localized forms of persecution. But nonetheless, if Nero, who had, had it out for Christians uh, t- uh, for a period, is on the throne, or really n- none, of the, um, none of the Caesars, none of the, the, the emperors, really were favorable toward, toward Christianity in the early uh, uh, couple centuries before Constantine. Uh, this gives them hope. This helps them to endure uh, the persecution and the suffering that they were facing and, and, and would face. And so, as, as you put it, Aaron, we're, the book wasn't written to um, satisfy all our intellectual curiosities about what the end of history might look like, and so we, we can predict what's going to be on the newspaper or, or news reports. 
on whatever form we get our news these days, but uh, but it, it's not meant to give us to wild speculation and and all and to gratify uh, our um, our you know curiosities about what the future might look like in and, and, and very specific form. But instead, it, it, it's meant to it's meant to it's it's meant to um, serve our hearts it's meant to, it's meant to enthrall our imagination with how great the world to come is going to be and that, that the, the suffering and follow suffering for Jesus and following him is worth it um, in the end because of what God has in store for his uh, people and in light of that uh, we want to think about this from a discipleship um, perspective as, as you mentioned so some some guidance uh, we might want to offer is that uh, something we've reiterated throughout these last few episodes about uh, Revelation, and that's that, you know, we, we, we don't want to uh, over-read uh, um, passages in Revelation in terms of taking them in a wooden way, so instead of trying to get it to suit all of our particular uh, fancies and, and questions, uh, so to speak, we need to discern what the main idea of a vision is and, and take it for the truth that it conveys rather than obsess about what it will look like in time and space. So that's really a first principle. It goes back to this uh, mantra that we've mentioned a few times, don't make a metaphor stand on all fours, let the metaphor do what it's intended to. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so a metaphor is not meant to be um, treated in this exhaustive and uh, mechanical way, but more that it, it communicates a, a bigger idea. So the, the visions throughout this singular book, this singular revelation that John the Apostle uh, received from Jesus, they, they complement one another rather than compete. So you don't want it, just like you don't, when an author employs multiple metaphors, you don't necessarily want to um, hold them so close together they start competing or seem to contradict. It's like, well, that's not the point of a metaphor. It's not to be precise. It's to convey a larger idea. So these visions don't compete with one another. They, they complement one another, but they're not to be taken so rigidly where you start to uh, cause them, cause a look at them at a way where they challenge one another. So let each vision be what it's intended to be on, on its own terms. And then know that whatever the point of one vision is, it, it, it'll have its own distinct uh, contribution to Revelation as a whole, the book of Revelation as a whole, but it's going to be harmon- harmonious uh, with the other visions about who Jesus is and what's taking place on earth according to, to God's plan. Another thing here is is that, um, and I'm going to try and hit a couple of quick things in this. Um, first is that uh, you may recall I, I mentioned... Genesis uh, Genesis 12 in here, but um, but going back even further, um, when we think about Revelation, uh, Revelation especially 21 and 22, um, it's important that we we not disconnect the this end from the beginning. So a good story that is told consistently, has a clear beginning, middle, and end. And the end makes sense and lines up with the beginning. It fulfills the promise that exists at the beginning of the story. Mm -hmm. Well, that's exactly what we see happen in Revelation 21 and 22. So we need to not treat Revelation um, as its own story and, and structure, with its own structure and themes that are entirely detached from the rest of the biblical story. 
Um, again, this is what we've we've hammered on week after week as we've talked about this together um, is that revelation only makes sense in the context of the Old Testament. Really, right. you need the Old Testament to fully understand this this book. All of its imagery and symbolism is steeped in Old Testament history and prophecy. And so John is inviting you to see those connections and then to explore them for yourself. So that is uh, one piece here. But another thing is, is that when we think about this book and the hope that we have in this, uh, in what we have to look forward to in knowing how how the story ends, um, and knowing, and in when it comes to mixing our metaphors and confusing our metaphors, um, and sp- sometimes some speculation, mm-hmm. um, there is an old hymn that uh, that talks about fly- how we're going to fly away, right? And uh, that is just and presents that essentially as our as our great hope. But that's not what Revelation gives us as our hope. Our hope is not that we're going to fly away, but that we will live in glory. And so we see in this passage that heaven comes down to us. It's not that we go up to heaven. Heaven, in from a biblical perspective, is this temporary intermediate state. Um, Think about it as a truck stop on the way mm-hmm. to your final destination. Um, you know, it's it's the place where you gas up, you rest up, um, except it has much cleaner bathrooms. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so I realize it's a terrible, terrible yes, and this is, metaphor. This is a, this is a truck stop that would be much like an amusement park in terms of its grandiosity. Yes, yeah. and also with free drinks. So yes. um, like so, Holiday World, huh? Exactly. Sure. <laughs> um, so the but the full so it's so heaven in the way that we think about it is not is an is not the final place that right where salvation is actualized because the full actualization of salvation includes the body and the soul so it's it's whole it's holistic in in that respect that's why there's imagery of eating and drinking and living in a city that highlight the physical and earthly nature of our eternal state and so we need to embrace that in our thinking and in our discipleship we don't want kids for example to just hear oh well when i when when i die or when a christian dies we go to heaven it's like no and that's not our problem that's not the thing that we look forward to right we look forward to being in the presence of the lord yes mm-hmm. but we need to understand that the presence of the lord ultimately means being in in a real physical world yes. Yes, like Jesus after yes. he rose from the dead. Our exactly. hope is the resurrection, both Jesus' resurrection and our own resurrection that comes from being united with him. And that's the type of transformation he's going to bring about when he returns to yes. rule and to reign on this earth and bringing heaven to earth. Uh, earth is glor- Heaven's glorious because Jesus is there. Jesus brings that heavenly reign to earth where God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven in this final and, and ultimate comprehensive uh, sense. Yes. Uh, and so one last note maybe we'd like to end on is that uh, we need to remember that we will always live 
uh, in this life and the here and now before we're at the not yet with a sense of purpose and anticipation. So we have realistic expectations for this life, that this life will never be heaven on earth as, as it is, not until G Jesus comes back anyway. And this life is always going to leave us wanting, uh, but nonetheless, there, there's a purpose to what happens mm -hmm. in our lives and on this earth, and it's heading, it's heading somewhere good. And we get glimpses, we get foretastes of it, but, but we never get the, the full meal, as it were. We get maybe what we can call appetizers of what the new heaven and new earth is like. Uh, but no matter how good or how bad things can be here, and you know, we just recently gotten past 2020, and 2021 was for a lot of people in some ways a sequel to 2020. Yeah, so, it's 2022. Yeah, so we're 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 getting <laughs> we're getting close and so we'll see uh we'll yeah, <laughs> we'll see what 2022 <laughs> is like. Yeah. Uh, the next sequel. Uh, maybe it's not a sequel, maybe it's a new series hopefully. But anyways, there there's something if This is a trilogy. It <laughs> oh, better no, be yeah. A, not be. Yeah, no. well the good part will be that it'll make us long for the new heaven and new earth all the more, right? That's right. That, that's the takeaway. That's right. So there, there's something greater at some unknown point on the horizon, horizon that, that's coming, and it's coming when, when Jesus returns, and we don't know the day or hour when that will be. So heaven is for real, to uh, quote the title of a bad book, but, mm. it, it's, it, but it's only glorious because we will see and know the face of God there in the person of Jesus. Jesus is going to be there physically, and it's through interacting and seeing him physically that that we, um, in this concrete way, experience the the presence of the one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I'll just try to wrap us up with, with this, this promise that really shows how God's intention for creation is fulfilled in the new heavens and new earth, and that's in Revelation 22, verses 3 through 5, where... Uh, where it's described as that there will be no longer any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. People will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, because the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. I don't think I can leave us on any, on any other better note. So thank you, Josh, for that. And uh, thank you all for listening to today's episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed it, please do leave a sincere five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use to listen to the show. And for more resources to focus your ministry on the gospel, please visit gospelproject.com.